Good morning. My name is Joseph. I'll be bringing the second Bible reading, which is Psalm 5. You can follow the reading on a screen or on your own Bibles. Psalm 5. Give ear to my words, O Lord. Consider my sighing. Listen to my cry for help, my King and my God. For to you I pray. In the morning, O Lord, you hear my voice. In the morning, I lay my request before you and wait in expectation. You are not a God who takes pleasure in evil. With you, the wicked cannot dwell. The arrogant cannot stand in your presence. You hate all who do wrong. You destroy those who tell lies. Bloodthirsty and deceitful men, the Lord abhors. But I, by your great mercy, will come into your house. In reverence will I bear down toward your holy temple. Lead me, O Lord, in your righteousness because of my enemies. Make straight your ways before me. Not a word from their mouth can be trusted. Their heart is filled with destruction. Their throat is an open grave. With their tongue they speak deceit. Declare them guilty, O God. Let their intrigues be their downfall. Banish them for their many sins, for they have rebelled against you. But let all who take, take refuge in you be glad. Let them ever sing for joy. Spread your protection over them, that those who love your name may rejoice in you. For surely, O Lord, you bless the righteous. You surround them with your favor as with a shield. This is God's word. Good morning again. It's such a privilege and joy to bring God's word from Psalm 5. And before I do that, let us go to the Lord in prayer. O Lord, make us to know your ways. Teach us your paths. Lead us in your truth and teach us, for you are the God of our salvation. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts be pleasing and acceptable to you, O Lord, our rock, our redeemer. Amen. Who do you turn to in difficult times? Who do you turn to when the chips are down and the odds are stacked heavily against you? Who do you turn to when your friends betray you, slander you, gossip about you, and accuse you of wrongdoing? If we are honest with ourselves, we will all confess that we will turn to everyone else but God. It takes a lot to turn to God for help. God is usually our last options. I am no exception. A few years ago, I went through a very difficult time when I faced slander, gossip, and false accusations. My character was under scrutiny. It was during that time I learned how to turn to God in prayer. Now, don't get me wrong. It is not bad to turn to people for help. But people could not help me because they were out of depth. The Word of God, and especially the Psalms, 
are the most effective means of turning to God in prayer. And that too in difficult times. And in this regard, Psalm 5 has been a rock under my feet through many dark times. Psalm 5 is a psalm of lament written by King David. Lament describes a state of being overwhelmed with sorrow. We don't really know what trouble David was in or what caused the problem, but we know confidently that he lamented deeply. And we know for certain that he was surrounded by enemies who wished him harm. David, in all probability, was quite likely slandered and falsely accused of wrongdoing. In Psalm 5, we will see the overarching principle that David lived by, and it is this. In difficult times, turn to God in prayer. In difficult times, turn to God in prayer. We will divide this psalm into two halves. The first half, verses 1 to 7, and second half, verses 8 to 12. In both these halves, we will see David's roller coaster emotional state in prayer. The emotional high and intimacy of turning to God in prayer, and the depths of despair when he shifted his attention to his enemies who surrounded him and broke his heart. David's attitude in prayer is worth remembering and putting into practice in our own lives. This brings us to the first point. In difficult times, let prayer be God-centered. We all agree that there are God-centered prayers and there are self-centered prayers. In difficult times, because of our flesh, we are naturally inclined to offer self-centered prayers because we want to protect ourselves. We want to shield ourselves from more pain and betrayal. What does a God-centered prayer look like? God-centered prayer is authentic. In verses 1 to 3, we will learn about the characteristics of authentic prayer. For starters, Authentic prayer is offered to the one true God. David used the terms Lord and God throughout this psalm. The term Lord signifies the proper name of the one true God of the Bible, Adonai or Jehovah. God, the term, means Elohim, or the Supreme God, or the one true God. David directed his prayer to the throne of the one true God. In 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 5, we read, For there is one God and one mediator between God and mankind, the man Jesus Christ. Because he knew who to direct his prayer to, David prayed boldly, which is another characteristic of authentic prayer. Look at the way David prays. In verses 1 to 2, he used the words, listen 
consider and hear. David knew the one true God and therefore he knew the attributes of this God. That means he knew that this God sees all things, knows all things, understands all things and even understood and knew what was in David's heart before he even prayed it. Yet David approached the throne of God with such boldness. Was he being disrespectful? No. Why? Because when you view this psalm in the context of the entire book of Psalms, you will understand that David approached the throne of God with childlike confidence. I remember the times when my kids were toddlers. Those were amazing times. I remember especially one of my children, and my son. He always demanded attention from me. And like all fathers, my eyes sometimes used to go to the, one, uh, to the horizon. And so in, in my arms, he will take his little hands and place it on my face, turn my face towards him, force me to look into his eyes in order to get my attention. That is the intimacy with which David comes to the throne of God. That is why he can pray with such boldness. He can pray with childlike boldness. Childlike boldness naturally leads to passionate prayer. In verses 1 to 2, we see that David's passionate prayer for help was characterized by words, lament and cry. David was known as the poet of Israel. And therefore, he knew how to craft beautiful prayers. Yet he did not rely on words alone, because words alone could not capture the depth of the anguish of his heart. That is why he used lament. Lament means speech that is scarcely audible because of deep sorrow. He also used the term cry which denotes loud weeping. Look at what David said in verse 2. My King and my God, for to you I pray. With deep intimacy and boldness, David used the personal pronoun my to address God and King. By using such personal pronouns, David makes it very clear that this God whom he turned to in prayer is the one with whom he shared personal and intimate relationship. By referring to God as my king, he showed that he understood that his own kingship of Israel pales in comparison to the supremacy of God's kingdom God who is the king of heaven and earth. The next aspect of authentic prayer is the time of day that David offered his prayer. Look at verse 3. In the morning, Lord, you hear my voice. Morning is the best time of the day to approach God in prayer. Why? Because our minds are fresh, and free from the cares of this world. 
God wants us to give him the very best of ourselves, including our time, which is the mornings. Is it any surprise that in Mark chapter 1, verse 35, we read that Jesus himself prayed to God, not early, very early in the morning. John Bunyan, the Puritan preacher, said, that he who runs from God in the morning will scarcely find him in the rest of the day. I know that when I don't approach God in prayer in the morning, I rarely am able to find him in the rest of the day. And even when I do, I'm very exhausted and distracted. David's God-centered and authentic prayer offered to the one true God in the morning hours was bold and passionate. The next thing to learn about authentic prayer is how to present it. David said in verse 3, I lay my requests before you. Laying of requests has a much deeper meaning in Hebrew. It means to lay our prayer in a very specified order, the way the priests of Israel would prepare and place the sacrificial animal and wood on the altar before presenting the sacrifice to God. No step was missed in the preparation and presentation of sacrifice. David's prayer was characterized by such careful preparation and presentation. David also showed us in verse 3 that he expected answers to his prayers. Look at his attitude in prayer. He waited expectantly. This means that in difficult times, when we pray to God, we can confidently expect answer to our prayers. What does a Christian who waits expectantly for answer to his or her prayer look like? They are like immovable rock in the midst of a fiery storm. Why? Because they trust in the God of heaven and earth and his promises. And we know God's promises are anchored inextricably on his unchanging character of faithfulness, of righteousness, of love, of kindness, of mercy and justice. When we make it a daily habit of praying authentic prayer like David, we naturally develop a disciplined prayer life. And we begin to understand that God-centered prayer pleases God. Christians are to please God in all things. People who do not know God cannot please God. And in verses 4 to 6, David uses seven terms to describe his enemies. Wicked, evil, arrogant, wrongdoers, liars, bloodthirsty and deceitful. These are very sinful people. This means that their moral compasses were so radically and irreversibly damaged that they hated God, they hated God's laws. 
How does God deal with these sinful people? In verse 4, we read that they are not welcome in God's presence. In verse 5, we read that God hates them. And verse 6, we read that they cannot enter God's presence and he will destroy them. That means these people are earmarked for eternal destruction. So even if these people were to turn to God and pray, God will not hear them. So when we hear people, especially the media, tell us in response to a tragedy or calamity or COVID-19, our prayers are with you, my question is, do they really know the God of the Bible? Because if they don't, their prayers are not heard, they're not welcome in God's presence. What is the difference between the people like these, wicked, evil people who displease God, and David who pleases God? David relied on God's steadfast love. David feared God. In verse 7 we read, But I, by your great love, can come into your house. Great love can also be rendered as abundance of steadfast love. This gives us the idea that God's love never runs out. It is inexhaustible and it is unfailing. Without God's unfailing love, none of us can enter God's presence. So when we come into God's presence, we must come with the right posture in prayer. In verse 7 we read, In reverence I bow down toward your holy temple. Temple refers to the presence of God. Reverence can be translated as fear. For a Christian, this fear is not the oppressive fear or dread of judgment, but the filial fear of a child with a loving father where the child does not want to displease God. Bowing down or falling prostrate refers to a humble posture in prayer. From our first reading, the beautiful picture of Jesus facing the most difficult and most unimaginably horrid time known to man, falling humbly on his face to pray in the garden of Gethsemane comes to mind. So, in prayer, a Christian enters God's presence by God's unfailing love in fear and humility. These things please God. The time of facing false accusations, slander and gossip by the people whom I had loved, respected and trusted went on for about two years. It was a very difficult time for my family and I. Daily, morning and evening, I prayed to God to remove this difficulty from me. The answer took two years in coming. I had to wait on God for Him to move. Eventually, God delivered me and my family and made us lie down in green pastures once again. Looking back, I realize now that it was during such difficult and terrible times of waiting 
that I learned the power of God-centered and authentic prayer, prayer that was bold and passionate. I remember the many mornings I was on my knees pouring out my heart to God about my difficult time and how unfair it was Though it was a painful and difficult experience, yet it was during such times I learned about intimacy with God and prayer. I also learned how to prepare and present my prayer with fear and humility. Most importantly, I learned this wonderful lesson. God hates sin. And he will deal with sin and sinners in his own perfect and comprehensive way and time. This experience, painful as it was, invigorated and radically transformed my prayer life. How? By infusing hope into my prayers, which brings us to the second point. In difficult times, let prayer be filled with hope what does hope-filled prayer look like? Hope-filled prayer focuses on God's righteousness. Hope-filled prayer gazes upon God at all times. It is not self-centered. There is no navel-gazing. In verse 8, we read, Lead me, Lord, in your righteousness. David's gaze was firmly fixed on God's righteousness. Righteousness refers to God's own perfection in every attribute, every attitude, every behavior, and every word. David prayed that God would lead him in God's own righteousness because he knew that no one was righteous before God. For Christians, this righteousness refers to the righteousness of Jesus Christ. In other words, on the cross of Calvary, God took the righteousness of Jesus Christ and clothed us with it and took our filthy rags of our sins and unrighteousness and placed them on Jesus Christ. So by this imputed righteousness of Jesus Christ alone, we can come into God's presence. Clothed with the righteousness of God, even as David entered God's presence, with hope-filled prayer. He was aware acutely of his enemies and the threat they posed to him spiritually. This is why David launched into a passionate prayer about the danger of his enemies who surrounded him. Look at verse 8. Because of my enemies, make your way straight before me. David was very mindful that his enemies can derail his intimacy with God and will try and make crooked the straight path of God's righteousness. So he asked God to help him remain on God's paths of righteousness. This means that when we pray during difficult times, our spiritual senses must be acutely aware of our enemies whose objective is to discourage us and turn us away from God. Look at David's description of his enemies. In verse 9, we read, Not a word from their mouth can be trusted. Their heart is filled with malice. Their throat is an open grave. 
with their tongues they tell lies. These people could not be trusted and were the very embodiment of evil. In fact, David goes on to paint a very terrible picture of their throats as open grave. Graves are never open. A picture an open grave filled with decaying and putrid flesh spewing out filthy smell. This is how David viewed the throat of an unbeliever. An open grave full of death spewing out words that destroy relationships and reputations. Therefore, is it any surprise that he prayed to God for God's judgment to come upon these people? In verse 10, David asked God to declare his enemies guilty because they were guilty for their many sins and had rebelled against God. Why did David call upon God's judgment on these people? Because importantly, they were not just his enemies, they were God's enemies. So even during difficult times, look at David's attitude. He had a kingdom perspective. He was more concerned about God's glory than his own vindication. Now, does this mean that Christians can call down God's judgment on our enemies? No. Christians do not call down God's judgment on our own enemies. Listen to the words of Jesus Christ in Luke chapter 6, verse 27. But I say to you who hear, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, and pray for those who spitefully use you. As Christians, we are to pray for our enemies' salvation. Does that mean we can never pray about our enemies who commit evil and atrocities against us and against our God? No. Listen to the words of those who had died for their faith in Revelation chapter 6, verse 10. They called out in a loud voice, How long, sovereign Lord, holy and true, until you judge the inhabitants of the earth and avenge our blood. This means that when we pray about our enemies, we must pray anchored on God's unchangeable character of his mercy and his justice. We pray for their salvation. We pray for God's mercy upon them. We also pray for God's justice to come upon all sin and sinners in his own perfect time. This is what the Bible tells us. God's judgment is coming. We learn as we go on the precious truth that hope-filled prayer rejoices in the Lord. King David showed us the benefit enjoyed by Christians who make God their refuge in difficult times. They experience joy and favor. Look at verse 11. But let all who take refuge in you be glad. Let them ever sing for joy. Spread your protection over them that those who love your name may rejoice in you. Christians are portrayed as those who love God's name and take refuge in God. Once again, the reference to God's name. The picture painted here is most beautifully captured by Proverbs chapter 18, verse 10. The name of the Lord, Adonai, is a strong tower. 
the righteous run to it and are saved. The word refuge points to a place of protection, hope and trust, which is another way of describing God's presence. What happens when we are in God's presence? We rejoice. Why? Listen to what David said in Psalm 16, verse 11. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. This is why in verse 11 of Psalm 5, David described a state of happiness by using three terms. Glad, which means to cheer up. Joy, which means to shout for joy. And rejoice, meaning to jump for joy. In other words, hope-filled prayer exhibits exuberant joy. This means that when, even when we go through difficult times, in the presence of the Lord, the joy of the Lord will be our strength. Is this even possible? Well, this was the attitude of the Apostle Paul when he faced difficult times and difficult people. These were enemies of God and the gospel. And he wrote to the Corinthian church in 2 Corinthians chapter 6 that he adopted this attitude of being sorrowful yet always rejoicing. So yes, it is entirely possible for a Christian to be rejoicing even during difficult times. You may ask, how can this be? It is the supernatural work of God the Holy Spirit. Remember, one of the fruit of the Spirit is joy. I will be the first one to admit that this is very difficult. In the past, my reaction to difficult times has been to whinge and mope around. I must say that over the years it has become easier to turn to God in prayer and in so doing, I'm beginning to discover this inestimable joy of the Lord, especially in difficult times. This leads me to understand how much God delights in his people. Let us see verse 12. Surely, Lord, you blessed righteous. You surround them with your favor as with a shield. Here we see that God does two things for his children who take refuge in him and in whom he delights. He blesses them and surrounds them with favor. The word bless may be understood as God's gracious gift of divine contentment. Charles Spurgeon, the Prince of Preachers, said this about being blessed. And I quote, This is a promise of infinite length, of unbounded breath, and of unutterable preciousness. God not only blesses us with his presence, which is full of his goodness, he also surrounds us with favor as with a shield. This means that we are safe and perfectly protected in his hands for now and eternity. Nothing can separate us from God's love and no one can snatch us from his hands. This is why it is such an encouragement for us to always turn to God in prayer, especially difficult times, because God will bless us and protect us. 
To those of you who do not know Jesus Christ as God and Savior, the door is open to you to come into his saving and most glorious knowledge of Jesus Christ as God and Savior. This will lead you to enjoy the privileged position of being called the children of God and you will have access into his presence and the joy in his presence. Will you respond today? For Christians, I'd like to bring home Psalm 5 with three applications centered on our struggles in prayer, our obstacles in prayer, and our lack of joy in prayer. So firstly, our struggles. Do you struggle to pray in difficult times? Do you struggle to pray at all? Well, prayer is a discipline, which means it requires daily commitment. Remember, if you don't pray when the times are good, you won't pray when the times are difficult. You must make it a habit of going to God in prayer, especially in difficult times. Pray boldly, pray passionately, pray intimately, Pray with fear, fear and humility and know in your heart that your prayers are all heard and recorded in heaven. God is faithful. God the Holy Spirit dwells in you and will help you in your prayers. And don't forget, wait expectantly for his answers. Every prayer has an answer. Secondly, obstacles. What are the things that stand in your way of having a dynamic and passionate prayer life? Please ask God to show you what these obstacles are and by His grace have these obstacles removed so that God the Holy Spirit can launch your prayer life into the stratosphere. That way you will be able to pray for God's kingdom to come in good and difficult times. You can pray for all people, you can pray for all situations, for the glory of God's great name and the honor of Jesus Christ our Lord. Thirdly and finally, do you struggle to find joy in your prayer life, especially in difficult times? Rest assured that the joy of the Lord is always available to Christians, but there is a caveat. You must fight for the joy of the Lord. It doesn't come easy. How? That's the key and a million dollar question. And David gives us an insight in Psalm chapter 19. Your precepts are right, rejoicing the heart. Which means we can use the Psalms to animate and energize our prayers. Pray with the Bible open. Use every passage that you read as a framework for prayer. Clothe your prayer with the word of God. It unleashes prayer into the atmosphere, into the spiritual realms and will tear down strongholds. Remember, God the Holy Spirit is our helper and he will guide us into all truths and will help us to pray with such exuberant joy and confidence. So, 
who do you turn to in difficult times? Who do you turn to for help in difficult times? In Psalm 5, we learned that in difficult times, we must turn to God in prayer. Let us, like David, discipline ourselves to pray God-centered prayer that is authentic, that which is pleasing to God, filled with hope, and most importantly, filled with the joy of the Lord. Such prayers reach the throne of heaven and are recorded because we offer our prayers through the righteousness of Jesus Christ alone. Every prayer of ours will be answered. And even when God does not answer our prayers according to what we want, we will draw closer to him because difficult times transform us into the image of the Lord Jesus Christ from one degree of glory to another. And a passionate prayer life is the lens by which we see this most exalted image of Jesus Christ being formed in each one of us. As we are transformed into the image of Jesus Christ more and more, we will also begin to pray like the Lord Jesus Christ to the praise of his glorious grace. Let us pray. Our Father, we thank you for your word and the wonders of your word. We thank you, Father, that you've given us this precious gift of your word. And we thank you for the lessons that we have learned today about prayer, about prayer in difficult times. Help us, O oh God, to come to you in prayer and make a prayer a wonderful habit to pray at all times throughout the day to you, O oh King of heaven, through Jesus Christ. Our Lord, we pray. Amen.